This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. To start this week's podcast episode, I just want to talk about you, the listener, and our audience. Our audience has been growing uh, and getting bigger and bigger, and we are so thankful for that. So I just want to say thanks to you, the listener, for listening every week to the podcast. We hope we are providing valuable and insightful information to help you uh, train smarter and race faster. And we get some unbelievable uh, messages of feedback. We get people messaging us on Instagram or Facebook or even emailing us uh, with either gratitude for the podcast, uh, just sharing what they found valuable, sharing when they find a guest really valuable. And we get some really touching messages, which we absolutely appreciate. And I just wanted to say the best thing you can do as a listener for us, if you like this podcast, is to either share it with someone that you know, share it with a friend who would also enjoy it and leave a five-star review uh, on Apple Podcasts or any of the podcast apps that you get. If you leave a five-star review and a comment, uh, we would absolutely love and appreciate that. That is the best way you can uh, pay us back if you enjoy the episode. So getting into today's episode, we were chatting about the fact that our audience is getting bigger and bigger and we're getting a lot of listeners and we were speaking about the fact that Uh, We've had a a lot of really good guests on this show and we wanted to review uh, some of the best lessons we've had from guests on the show so far. Uh, For any new listeners that might not have heard those episodes, uh, you can go back and listen to them after this, but we wanted to go through and just touch on some of the best lessons we've learned uh, over the last year and a bit of doing the podcast and uh, really... Every time we do a podcast with, with a guest, we tend to get some really valuable lessons uh, because we do a new one every single week. You can forget what uh, was really valuable about some of those episodes. So we wanted to touch on some of the best lessons and explore them again and use them just as a reminder. So we're going to get into that in today's episode. But firstly, our normal segment, which has become a really key part of the podcast, is the gratitudes. And we ask you to ask yourself, what are you grateful for? And we've just found this a really positive and powerful way to get yourself in a good frame of mind when things might not be going your way throughout the week. So dad, welcome to the episode. What are you grateful for? Thanks, Jordan. And uh, I'm excited for today's podcast because I think it's really going to be fun. Um, and and just a reminder to everybody how how many people um, we've had over the journey of our some 80-odd podcasts um, have had invaluable advice and yeah that's going to be i'm really looking forward to that so my gratitude is just got reminded uh, with one of one of my mates uh, crashed this morning on his uh, on his bike ride and um and you know the inconvenience of having a crash and you know the seriousness of some crashes is extreme and other crashes are quite minor and you know it's not a matter of if you're going to crash it's it's when really and you want to get the limits, your losses on on whenever you do crash, and so I'm grateful that we do spend the majority of our time uh, injury free. And it's only when something goes wrong where you just get reminded again of far out. You know, you forget how how good a run you're getting until you you don't get a run, um, and then all of a sudden <laughs> your world turns and it goes in a different direction for four weeks or eight weeks or. You know, if it's serious, it's six months or a year. And uh, I'm just grateful that, you know, we've had a period where, um, you know, things are going along okay, but I feel feel for the people who are injured or sick. 
Yeah, definitely. And we, we do say this gratitude a lot uh, when, it, when it comes up, but it is important to remember that every time you can train and you, you are healthy and you've got no problems to be grateful for it. And that's kind of why we asked the question in the first place. Uh, my one is one I've done before as well, but I actually am really grateful for uh, the people in the city of Melbourne and the state of Victoria because these lockdowns are tough. Um, they're not fun for anyone. And the rate of compliance is just really impressive to see. And it's actually kind of special to uh, see how millions of people all do the right thing by the community and uh, stick by the rules because um, it really is a self-governed thing. You know, the police can't check everyone and there are people in the minority not doing the right thing, but they're such in a small minority that it's uh, because millions of people are doing the right thing, you know, the lockdowns are working. So, um, yeah, I'm just grateful that a whole community can come together and actually do that. It's For me, I think that's quite special. It's a good one. Moving into the next section, what has caught your attention? Dad, what's caught your attention recently? Yes, and just following on that theme of, uh, you know, the the era, the period we are in in the world at the moment, uh, for the triathletes of uh, of Australia, yet another Ironman has been postponed uh, or cancelled or moved. And the Port Mac, it was already moved from May to September and now it's cancelled. It's technically um, it's the fourth time it's been moved. But yeah, <laughs> so I, I really, um, it's caught my attention because obviously there's people who have done a lot of preparation for for their a race and it's really disappointing for them and and yeah i've i feel for them um they've sacrificed a lot for this event yeah, not only in terms of finances but in terms of time and and energy and effort um but then there's the hotel you know bookings the airfares everything that goes with it, you know, the, um, the cost of the event. Um, and some people can't do another event later on down the track, but others can. Um, but that's what's caught my attention. And uh, and I just wanted to reach out to those people and say, you know, uh, for every negative, there's a positive and you've got to look at it that way. And it gives you another opportunity to select another race down the track, another A race, and you'll have more time to prepare um, um, you've learned a lot in the preparation for this one. It's kind of six, still six weeks away. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world. We, you know, you still, there will be other races. So, um, so for some people, it's actually uh, a good thing because they're a little bit underprepared, but for those who are really ready and, and are training the house down and are in form, um, that's a tough one. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, there will be other races. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, what's caught my attention is quite simply uh, the biggest event going on right now. It's the Olympics. You know, watching the opening ceremony reminded me of how much special the event is and uh, how much of a significant occasion it is worldwide. And I got really excited watching the opening ceremony and I'm really excited for the next two weeks, you know, to see the top athletes from around the world in a range of different sports all come together to compete. Uh, in their event, you know, that they've put in potentially four years of hard work for, you know, if you think of five years yeah sorry five years because of the extended year um you know if you think about port mac being cancelled or how about the olympics being cancelled last year and moved a year later something that you prepared four years for has now been moved a year back um yeah i just think it's really special you know to see um see all the countries in the opening ceremony see 205 countries i think represented at the olympic games and so many different cultures and uh it's really just especially with the year we've had to see all cultures of the world come together and convene in one area. It's just, for me, I think it's pretty special and I'm really excited to see the top athletes perform at that level. 
It still amazes me that uh, during a pandemic, you know, the world's never seen anything like it. We're still managing to do the Tour, tour of France. We're still managing to do the Olympics. It's just incredible that um, that life's still going on in, in certain sections of, of people's lives. And for other people, it's the worst period of their life mm. in history. Um, so it, it is kind of a funny thing, isn't it, that yeah. we're able to do sport, um, yet there's people dying. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm a little bit torn on that one. Um, Sport's one of the things that can bring everyone together, though, you know. Yes, yeah. yeah. yeah and I think in, in, in misery, you need happiness, yeah. you know, and it, it, if it creates um, joy and, and entertainment for people who are struggling, it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of Melbourne mates talk about the fact that um, – you know, it's easy to do a lockdown when there's Olympics on because you can you get to watch sport. Whereas last year in Melbourne's lockdown, there was no sport on because worldwide sport was cancelled. So, um, yeah, that's a big that's positive. A good point. Yeah, and I was to be honest, I was training inspired this morning. Um, just thinking about the Olympics, I had a bit more energy to give. I think um, just even thinking about it. So I just think, yeah, with that regard, it's quite special. Moving into the uh, topic of the day, the meat of the episode, what everyone wants to get into, we're going to go through, uh, pick some of the key guests we've had on the podcast and pick some of our favorite lessons. Um, So we'll start way back with uh, one of the more special guests we've had on the podcast. I mean, they're all special to us, but uh, this guy, um, we were so excited that he agreed to come on the podcast and that is the Paris-Roubaix winner, Australian cycling legend, Matt Heyman. So Dad, what was your best lesson from Matty Heyman when he came on the podcast? Yeah, we've uh, we've kicked off with number one being, uh, yeah, the Paris Roubaix race is one of the iconic races in cycling. It, it's probably the oh, I put it up there with the you know, top one, two, or three with the world title. You know, the winner of the Tour de France and Paris Roubaix is probably my three favourite um, races. Or getting Flanders, but yes, <laughs> yeah, and Flanders is, is next. But um, but yeah, it, it's I just. It's just something unique about that race and finishing the velodrome, the history and all of that stuff. And it's one of those ones that all riders want to win. And for a, for an Aussie like Maddie Heyman to win it and the way that transpired from crashing, breaking his collarbone, jumping on Zwift, training the house down in, in the garage um, – on his swift, not going outdoors, uh, not getting the races that he needed to do into his uh, into his normal program, but just doing, you know, literally six weeks of Zwift training. Um, it, that in itself was quite incredible. To to uh, you would be questioning yourself when you're in the race. You know, have I done enough preparation? Um, but the layers of years of his racing experience and and fitness. Um, it was probably a good thing that he didn't train so hard and he was probably a lot fresher for this particular race. And the way he raced was, was just, he did everything well. Mm. Um, even when he made a mistake, he, he covered his mistake and got back. And, and, you know, for those who don't remember that race, you know, he ended up coming into the velodrome, which, you know, I happened to be in the velodrome that year, which was pretty special. And, uh, I was watching that race live and, and he came in with uh, Tom Boonen, who is, you know, about to break the record for the most Paris-Roubaix wins. He's, he's in the, 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 the velodrome with, you know, the guy who's odds on to win and, and he beats him. 
you know, and I, the look on Tom Boonen's face when when they finished and crossed the line was like, what just happened to me? Mm. Um, I just got done by someone who I shouldn't have lost to. And, and oh, the, the whole story, and Matt's such a humble person and the way he was on our podcast was so open with, you know, inspirational almost with the tips he was giving us and and that, you know, you know the stories and the and the, the the things he talked about were you know every time you get an opportunity you've got to take it and it's yeah. a theme that, theme that we talk about a lot. It really put Zwift on the map, didn't it? Kind of the fact that indoor training can you know allow you to perform at the absolute top level. So pretty special in that regard. My biggest point was uh, my biggest point, but one of the best lessons I uh, thought that he said, which is a little bit unique, that because uh, when we spoke to him, the lockdown was really just hap- starting and. He really spoke about how even the pros don't sacrifice the balance with their families. And one of the messages coming from the Green Edge team, uh, now Team Bike Exchange, uh, to all their riders was, um, you know, have some balance in your life. You know, there's a lot going along. There's a lot going on in the world right now. You need to uh, not just make cycling the number one thing. You need to have balance with other things in life. And we talk about that a lot with the age grouper that you know, triathlon or cycling can't rule your world, uh, but even the pros need balance to perform well. So that was one of the biggest lessons I took. Next guest we had on was uh, Dr. Mitch Anderson, who uh, we really dived, dove into a lot of things that he's done in his career, elite Ironman athlete, but uh, mainly he broke the 12 and 24-hour world record, which uh, I think just recently got broken. I think the 24-hour world record just got broken last week, which is uh, coincidental. Um, the guy rode over a 1,000 kilometers, I think. I don't know if it's verified, but um, yeah, 1,000 kilometers in 24 hours. But Dr. Mitch talking about that, was it was a two-part episode because it was so jaw-dropping. Uh, so, Dad, what was your biggest lesson from Dr. Mitch? Yes, and uh, what an inspiring character Mitch is to, to do what he's done in his life and not just for those those world record um, rides and his Ironman, but you know, you know the way he he trained as a as a professional triathlete, whilst at the same time studying to be you know a doctor and uh, all the things that he put on hold and tried to get a balance in his life and 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 I still vividly remember watching him finish the twelve hour ride. Um, it was he was doing it in a circuit down in uh, in you know in the city around South Melbourne. And seeing seeing him get off his bike, you know, crawl off his bike and slump in a seat, but knowing that he'd broken the world record, the the satisfaction on his face, but the the sheer agony on his face of what he just put himself through, was really a little bit uh, shocked. I was a bit shocked at, at. I knew that it was a difficult thing that he just achieved for, to ride it at that speed. I think we rode forty two k's an hour for twelve hours. Um, um, you know, I can do that for five minutes maybe. Um, and you know what he would have had to go through for 12 hours to, to achieve that, uh, performance and, and what it took out of him that his face to me was, uh, it said a lot of, it said a lot about the last 12 hours and, and the determination, I suppose, um, that he shows was inspiring. Um, obviously the preparation and everything, but on the race day, um, it's, it's okay to do all your preparation, but you've still got to perform on that, on that day. And, and he did not flinch, um, you know, his ability to focus and, and, and get his mind right to, to, to ride at that steady state for, 
steady state, that high, incredibly high standard of, of uh, power and speed for 12 hours was, and then he went on and did 24 hours, which, mm. you know, um, it must have taken a lot out of him. Um, and, I, you know, I know, I know talking to him later that he said it, it took, you know, months for him to, to really feel like he got his body back. Mm. Um, he really, he, he amazingly pushed himself so far beyond what he thought he could he could do that to me was inspiring yeah that was one of my biggest takeaways from him was just how far you really can push your body and he just pushed it to its absolute extreme but he could only do that with proper preparation you know he couldn't have gone to that extreme without the meticulous preparation and discipline training that he did and also mentally uh the confidence he had in himself to um really give it his all and uh, it takes a special combination of all those things to push your body that far. But that really shocked me just how well prepared he was, how confident he was in his own ability and how uh, he still had to execute on the day. Uh, but he just gave it absolutely everything. And you had to see how far he pushed his body was um, quite absurd, to be honest. Um, yeah. The next guest to go through was uh, the uh, expert swimming coach from Effortless Swimming, Brenton Ford. We're good friends with Brendan. He's part of the uh, Travello business as well. Uh, we get a lot of our athletes to use his expert coaching and uh, we've had him on the podcast and he gave some great tips uh, for all swimmers out there trying to improve swimming. So what was your best takeaway from Brenton when he came on the podcast? Very simple. Um, you can Swimming is a different um, type of event. Uh, it is a lot of to do with skill acquisition and that was the biggest takeaway for me no matter how fit you get as a swimmer you will improve to a point but unless you're willing to change your technique you're not going to improve where you could um, as a runner or rider Um, the harder you train as a runner and rider the the better you'll get so the big takeaway for me is swimming is quite different you can flog yourself in the water and probably get one or two seconds faster over a period of time but if you're willing to think about the skill of the of the technique of swimming and improve that you could possibly get 10 to 20 seconds improvement and that's the biggest takeaway for me from that whole podcast yeah it's really shows how much technique matters in swimming compared to cycling and running it matters in all three disciplines but much more so in swimming right yep exactly and mine is very similar to that. My biggest lesson was the fact that uh, technique is so important, but, you know, Brenton really highlighted the fact that you only need minor tweaks to drastically improve your swimming. You know, he said he gave examples of such minor tweaks he'd made to people's techniques that took off 10 seconds of their per 100 meter pace. So that is just uh, really, uh, it's really optimistic for people to hear that because if you're a poor swimmer, you can change that and improve just with minor tweaks. Perfect practice. That that was one of the things that really came out of it. The example would be if you're a golfer and you you hook the ball, you know, and you go to the driving range and spend eight hours practicing and don't change the fact that you keep hooking. When you go to play, you're still going to hook. And, you know, that's the thing that swimming has. If, if you don't change something about your stroke, you're still going to swim the same time. Yeah, spot on. Our next guest uh, we've actually had on a couple of times and we plan to have on a couple of more times uh, is Dr. Harry, our nutrition expert. And he's come on because he helps endurance athletes with their nutrition, both in terms of uh, losing weight to be able to perform better, but also endurance fueling uh, and getting your body to 
learn how to fuel itself better and be better adapted in a, endurance events. So, I mean, I got this a hundred points that we've learned from Harry, which have been super valuable and nutrition is always such a valuable topic because it's uh, quite hard to get right. So what is your biggest uh, lesson you think you've learned from Dr. Harry? Uh, and because I've gone through the process with him, it was so obvious to me that if I got my body uh, to the right shape and and weight um, and fuel, if I if I did all those things right, I got free watts. You know, it was it was just a game changer. Um, you know, instead of being seventy three kilo, I was sixty eight, um, and carrying an extra five kilo on some of the climbs uh, is very disadvantage disadvantageous mm-hmm. and to do it as a lighter rider and still push the same watts um was a huge game changer and and so if you're willing to to do something about that um you know you're pretty much getting free watts and and that was just one of the many things that uh that i that i actually put into practice for myself um and and i you know I always talk about balancing things and making sure you're not extreme and you've got to be very careful when we talk about weight and, um, and losing weight and, and it's important that you maintain a balance and get the right fuel um, and understand what are the, the correct nutritional pathways that you should be following um, and starvation is not one of them. Um, you know, you, you can't perform. Um, it's like putting petrol into a car you know, without that, it doesn't go. So same with food, if, you know, you've got to put the right fuel into your body to get a better outcome. Absolutely. Uh, my biggest lesson from Dr. Harry was actually just how he talked about, you know, our mindset as a society with food. And he, he kind of just said, said I'm not going to put this as delicately as he might've, um, that we actually just need to toughen up a bit when it comes to food. Uh, you know, a lot of us are, you know, and I find myself sometimes, you know, it's almost like you're addicted to sugars or sweet foods or uh, a bit of junk food. And, you know, if there's a nice big pizza in front of you, you just can't help but devour it. And uh, it's actually kind of poisonous to not have control of that sometimes um, or to feel like you're not in control of what you're putting in your body. And uh, he just talked about, you know, a bit of mental toughness when it comes to food and um, actually taking back control and not being at the mercy of um eating eating without control that was a really really big point for me and there's that's definitely um a tough area to talk about because if you go too far one way um you know it's not just about control there you know there is definitely problems uh, in the world uh, especially um recently uh, in australia there's they're talking about a real problem in eating disorders um so it's not a very simple topic but um what you can control i think harry's point was um yeah, you should control. So that was that was my biggest point. Yeah, the consequences of your selections. That that's kind of what what I think he was trying to say. Um, we, we we all make decisions, and there you know there there are consequences with whatever decision you make. If you choose, and, we, and let's face it, we are a society that's addicted to sugar, and mm. it's it's just been the way it is since you know the seventies, since sugar became such an important part of our lifestyle. So um, you know you can still make those decisions yourself. Um, the choices you make, <clears throat> there are consequences to, to those choices. So, so that's the way that I try and justify it in my mind. Well, 
you know, at this particular point of my week or, or day, um, I'm better off doing this choice rather than the one that I want to do. And that's, that's totally in your control. And that's, I think, the important thing to toughen up from what you were saying about yeah. it. Um, and that's really helpful to think of it that way where, you know, you know, sure, there's all these selections to choose, but there are consequences with this with your selection. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One of our next guests, uh, the marathon running legend of Australia, Steve Monaghetti. We loved having Steve on. He uh, had some great stories, some great wisdom, um, some funny stories, and uh, some really great lessons. So, what was your biggest lesson from from Monas? Yeah, I really enjoyed chatting to Mona and what you see is what you get. Um, he's uh, so willing to spend time discussing anything for as long as you want. Um, uh, that, I really got that. Uh, that's a takeaway for me that uh, such a humble human being and um, really wanting to help others um, on their journeys as, you know, and he's, you know, he epitomizes that. Um, but the one thing that uh, that really stood out to me was when we delved into his his history of, uh, of racing uh, at the highest level, World Championships, Olympics, Commonwealth Games and local Ballarat Sea races that, you know, he was consistent and, and you know, boringly consistent as he put it. Um, and that was his cornerstone of, of what made him uh, such, a, such a, a relentlessly successful athlete who very rarely failed. You know, you look at his career, he performed when it counted. Um, he won things that, were, that mattered because he had this, this consistency that, you know, always having his fitness simmering, simmering under that line so he could step up, step his, uh, his training up to, to reach the goal A race that he was, you know, preparing for. And we talk about that a lot, you know, being consistent, keeping your, keeping your form just under the line. And then when you need it, jumping up to, uh, <clears throat> to really, you know, be a force to be reckoned with in, uh, <clears throat> in that, that uh, race that really matters. I can tell you've trained hard this morning because you, <laughs> you've got what we call the runner's cough or in your case, the, the cycling cough <laughs> after a hard session. I agree. He's, the boring consistency he had for 20 years allowed him just to perform at the highest level for so long. And uh, on that theme, my biggest takeaway was how consistently he raced and you touched on then how he would you know, often do, you know, Ballarat sea races, cross country races uh, in his hometown. And he just so often used the Saturday uh, races in the cross country season as part of his training program. And sometimes when we're really hardcore in a training program, we're probably not racing enough. And we have learned this from the pros before that uh, the pro cyclists, uh, when it's racing season, they barely train hard. They'll do their pro race on a Wednesday. <laughs> pro race on a, on a Saturday and then in between train easy. And so you can really use um, B and C races to your advantage and do them consistently to help get yourself in form. One of the next, oh, was there something you want to say on monitors? No, I think you summarized it really well. Good. One of the next guests we had was uh, SBS commentator and ex-pro cyclist, Dave McKenzie. And again, great chat to Dave. He's obviously good on camera because he does it for a living. Um, and some of his stories about his pro days and SBS days were really fun to listen to. Yeah. He had, uh, he had such a, a quality, uh, as a, as a presenter, he came across in the podcast. He was very, uh, smooth and yeah, he's, uh, and not only was he a great cyclist, but he's a really good commentator and he knows his stuff and, um, love listening to him on the tour de France and, uh, and anything where he commentates because his insights were uh, exceptional and he understands, you know, he's been a winner at a, at a, uh, a grand tour 
And and the, the biggest thing that uh, – the biggest lesson, I think, was, you know, <clears throat> having confidence in your own ability <clears> – pardon me – having confidence in your own ability and and then backing yourself in. Uh, that is that is one of the big things that uh, that he really hit home with. I think um, you you know you may only get an opportunity once in a grand tour, like we talked about with uh, with Ben O'Connor um, and with um, the other Australian from Harry Harry Sweeney. Yeah. Um, you know, you you may not get many opportunities, and and the way he uh, he really just you know took off from from the biggest group of professional cyclists you know in the giro and and one solo was outstanding and and backing his backing himself in and and knowing that he's just as good as everybody else and uh, you know a young aussie can can just mix it with you know some of the you know some of the best riders in history and and ride away solo and and take your chance and and you know have confidence in your ability that was the big thing that i got from that yeah, and on his Giro stage win, it was such an awesome story. And if you haven't heard it, go listen to the podcast episode. But uh, my big takeaway from him was not being intimidated by your opponents, by the stage, by the event, uh, and kind of what you're saying, but have belief in your own ability. But he really spoke about how one of the big dogs of the peloton, Cipollini, was trying to control things and trying to intimidate them and not let anyone attack, and he went for it. And yeah, obviously you can come up against really tough opponents, um, but don't let them beat you mentally before the start line. You know, he could have just shied away and um, listened to him and not taken that chance and he would never have been a Giro d'Italia stage winner, you know. And I actually just watched um, a video on Lucy Charles Barkley because the um, PTO, Professional Triathlete Organization, Collins Cup is coming up next month and all the top triathletes from around the world are racing against each other in this Collins Cup format. And Lucy Charles Barkley, she's very confident she's got a really healthy ego it's not an arrogant ego it's really healthy ego and she said sometimes i turn up to races and i know i've got these girls before races even started you know and she's quite an intimidating figure she's an absolute gun athlete um she's quite tall as well and so you can imagine that some of these girls go line up next to her she's i think she's over six foot um and she would just be a really towering menacing figure and yeah they lose the battle before it's even started and david kenzie was a perfect example of doing the opposite of that and not letting your opponents get in your head or um the 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 stage or the event get in your head yeah really great points and uh, on you know to continue that point uh there was you know the the peloton was ridden a lot different to what it's what it rides like now and there were you know guys controlling the peloton um uh, and i know teams control the peloton now but there were individuals who decided um and it wasn't such a team thing then you know there were you know five or six really strong-willed uh characters such as cipollini um who would you know almost stand over tactics of saying no you, you know you're not allowed to do that you know, and and Dave certainly, you know, had been yelled at <laughs> in the stage and and just ignored it. And and you know, the rest is history. And I think that's a, a really good point that, you know, your own focus should be on what you can control and, and not be, you know, not be influenced or intimidated by others around you. Yep. Perfect. And one of our next guests was Olympian Dave McNeil, and he's actually competing at the Tokyo Olympics. He's competed twice in the 10,000 metres, and at Tokyo, he's competing in the 5,000 metres. And he gave quite a you know, Zen, Stoic, uh, Buddhist kind of interview, didn't he, where it was, it was a lot about mindset, but again, took a lot from him. 
Yeah, and at the time, he hadn't been selected for Tokyo. It was, I think, a week before or two weeks out. Um, and the, the good news is he got selected and he is in Tokyo ready to, to race. Um, and we really look, I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes. Um, so what did I take out of him? I, I definitely, um, as he, as he's got an older, you know, he is an older athlete as a, as a 5,000, 10,000 meter runner. Um, uh, compared to the guys he's competing against now. And he has managed himself uh, so well, taking into consideration what his capabilities are as an older athlete. And, and he's changed his program and, and managed himself so much better than just following the same uh, routine that, that got him such success. And, and I really took that away that, you know, you can't, you just can't perform the same as you are as a 20-year-old, as a 35-year-old in terms of training. Um, and look, I experienced that this week myself by by doing a session, you know, last night and then trying to back up 12 hours later this morning. I really struggled. And, and you know, 30 years ago, that would have been okay. But, you know, as a 60-year-old, it's actually not okay to do that. And no wonder I struggled. And, I just forgot that, you know, that I need to manage myself better than that. And that's the thing that I got from Dave was, you know, age is no barrier as long as you manage yourself better. Um, and he's proven it, you know, he, he qualified against, you know, the best runners in Australia and he's at a world level um, and and uh, just through uh, intelligent management. Yeah, spot on. Uh, one of the biggest things I took from Dave was just a reminder of how much mindset affects performance, uh, not just racing performance, but training performance and uh, how it can affect how consistently you're able to train. You know, he really spoke about managing his stress levels, managing his uh, training and race and performance anxiety. And he just gave the example, which uh, a lot of people listening absolutely loved. We had a few funny or cheeky comments from Travelo athletes where he spoke about how he allows himself to enjoy beer quite frequently now, whereas most professional athletes would go a year without drinking or two years without drinking in preparation for the Olympics. And uh, yeah, a lot of our athletes uh, took that as an excuse to drink as much beer as possible. But <laughs> um, but I really loved um, just that example of how he's he's used that the last couple of years to really relax and it's actually allowed him to perform better. A lot we can take away from that, isn't it? Being a relaxed athlete and uh, and having the confidence in yourself to just back yourself in. Um, and yeah, that's a great takeaway. One of the earliest guests we had on the show was a big favorite of ours, and that was uh, absolute gun, ex-pro cyclist, still a gun, uh, age group master cyclist, a uh, really good friend of the Tribella community, uh, and that is Tim Jamison. And again, took a lot from him. He had some great stories, but... What did you take from one of your your great mates, Tim Jamison? Yeah, well, um, Tim is a, a really good friend of mine, and um, and he makes me laugh because he knows how I love data and how important it is, and he loves absolutely taking the piss out of the fact that he doesn't use any data, and yet he wins countless races, and and I love that about Tim. And if you get a chance, listen to that podcast because it really delves into you know. Uh, no matter how fit you are, if you don't have the ability to race um, tactically, um, then you're never going to win any bike races. So uh, you need the two key things. You need to be a tactician and you need to have the fitness. And even he proved that some races uh, he wasn't that fit, but he was so incredibly clever as a bike rider that he would win. And so um, tough. <laughs> Yeah, mentally tough. And um, he would, you know, you've experienced uh, sitting side by side with him, not saying much. And 
the power is slowly ramping up as each hundred meter goes past and not saying anything, not giving an inch, not losing a, a millimeter on the wheel beside you. Um, and that's the sort of little mind games he would play, you know, and I, I just love the way he goes about it. He, and he loves his, his bike riding and he, you know, he loves to ride his bike. Um, that's the thing that stands out to me is whether he was racing or not, he just would, you know, go out for a five or six hour ride by himself um, and just, you know, totally love the experience. And the fact that he races and does well is, is an added bonus, but, but it was a reminder that yes, you need to prepare properly. Yes. You need to have all the information at your disposal, but if you don't understand how to race, it doesn't matter. You, You won't be successful. Yeah. He's a real crack up sometimes. These, this isn't my biggest takeaway, but two things stand out from him that just make me laugh every time. And uh, after a ride, he'll say to you, oh, Jerry, I think I got a, a power record today. I got 14 watts, you know, cause he, he has no reference because he's never looked at power. So he has no reference of what, whether he should be at 150 or 300 or so he just says random numbers like 12 and it always cracks me up. And then also what you said about his love for cycling, you, he says, you could not pay me to ride indoors on Swift. You know, he says like, just, if I'm not going to ride outdoors, I'm not riding. So, and you know, it goes totally against against a lot of our principles at Trivelo, you know, we're so much about data, so much about power. Training indoors is so good for you, um, but he's totally opposite and we love that. Um, yeah, and look, he calls the, the power meter a watto meter, which, <laughs> which even makes me laugh. And he yeah. says um, his little bit of cord that I doesn't know where to plug it into the wall, <laughs> so I can't ride Zwift. Yeah, so yeah. Um, one day we'll get him on it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, oh, I don't. I don't want him on our Swift races because he's, <laughs> he's too good. And this is my this is my key takeaway from him is that he's ruthlessly competitive when he when he's when it's time to race when it's when he's got a goal whether it's a race or a race further ahead he's the most competitive person you'll ever meet and uh, he t- he told the story of. Um, not just how competitive he was as a pro, but uh, a couple of years ago when the world masters champs was held in Perth and he decided he was going to have a crack and he ended up winning. And he just spoke about the fact that once he decided he was going to race it, uh, he said, did I miss a six hour ride um, every single weekend or, or both days on the weekend, you know, for 12 or 16 weeks leading into that? No, you know, no matter what the weather was, no matter how cold it was in the middle of winter in Victoria, he turned up every weekend and got that ride done. And that was just an example of how committed he was to um, putting himself in the best shape. And um, he's not, he's not just accidentally fit. Yeah. That was my big takeaway. Yeah. And, and as funny as, as he is, as a, as a character, the serious side, because I was, I was with him in Perth when he performed and it was one of the special days to be around him, um, seeing him win that race. Um, and nine knew the preparation he had done and he had trained the house down and he left no stone unturned and, you know, as jovial and as jockey joke that he makes about it all, you know, that was the side that got him, um, got in the result and, uh, and his ability to implement the tactics in that race. And he won the sprint, the bunch sprint, by 20 metres. Mm. Um, and that's pretty unusual um, yep. to, to win a bunch sprint by that much. Yep. Um, I mean, he's an incredible sprinter. He's an incredible bike rider. But um, but his tactician uh, methods were, were just spot on. He knew the body language of all the other riders, who was strong, who to be, where to position himself, when, you know, what the timing was for the sprint and what he needed to do. And um, execution was brilliant. 
Another good friend, we had it on the podcast, uh, was Julian Painter, a really good friend of the Traveller community, one of your good friends, Dad, and uh, he's also an ex-Olympian, which is a pretty special title to have. Went to the Olympics for the 5,000 metres. Um, and he's a little bit of an opposite personality to Tim, um, but that's probably one of uh, the best takeaways I had from him. Most definitely, George, and uh, it, it, we couldn't have two opposites, I don't think. Um, and, you know, it's great they're talking about Julian now because the Olympics are starting and uh, Jules was at the 96 Atlanta Games and as a, as a track runner, um, and here he is as an age grouper on the bike. Uh, you know, he won the, the national title at uh, Ballarat in the time trial and road race uh, just recently this year as a 50-odd-year-old. Um, and his preparation and professionalism is is outstanding. Whether he was an Olympian or whether he's a an everyday cyclist, um, he leaves no stone unturned. And um, he's a very humble, uh, successful athlete. But watching him go about his daily routine um, is something that we could all learn from. Um, his uh, attention to detail um, and having himself organised. At the start of the week, um, you know, I delivered the program to him and he's already worked out, you know, what time he's doing it, um, uh, where he's doing it and and who he's doing it with and and he's worked everything else around it. Um, and, yeah, I just, you know, get watching him at races and getting there early and giving himself enough time and, you know, and, and really – doing all the one percenters and you know focusing on his diet and and his nutrition um you know he he contacted dr harry you know um and you know he's done the strength and conditioning program every single thing that we put in front of him there's no question um and he's asking the next question is there anything else i should be doing and that comes across in his results um he's he's an awesome competitor one of my things from him is pretty similar. It's the fact that uh, how level he is constantly. You know, you talk a lot about not being extreme in things and his personality is uh, the opposite of extreme. It's just balanced in every aspect of what he does. And whether it's competing at the Olympics or competing at the national title or, like you said, just doing a training session, whether he's talking about how he was at the Olympics or he's talking about uh, a race, uh, he's always just constantly level. And you'd think sometimes that to be a gun athlete, you need to have a bit of an ego. You need to be, have a bit of a loose wire in you to give you that ruthless kind of competitive advantage. Um, but you also talk about um, the fact that distance runners always have this kind of calm uh, collectedness about them. And uh, he exemplifies that, I think. And yeah, no matter what what's happening, he's cool, calm and collected and he's uh, very level in how he goes about everything. And uh, I think we can actually learn a lot from that and apply that. I think, George, uh, when you're an endurance athlete or, um, you know, I'm not talking about the short, sharp uh, events that you could do, power events. Um, when you've trained for such long periods, you you get a, a calmness of, I've done the work. Um, I've, I've really trained hard. You, you remind yourself all the time that, you know, you, you did do a six-hour ride as a triathlete or as a cyclist and you did do some hard, high-intensity sessions and you have this inner belief that you've done the done the work and you, you don't need to say anything, you know. It's, it's in your mind that you are confident that you're well-prepared and that is the next step for people um, who are listening that, you know, you are doing a, a lot of good things, a lot of things right. And, and then back yourself in, have the self-belief um, 
do the Dave McKenzie, back yourself and, and take on the world as a solo breakaway and see what happens. And it might just turn out very successful for you. And Jules epitomizes that, that, you know, an inner self-belief uh, of, of backing himself in. Um, and if someone's better than you on the day, so what? Uh, you know, you've, you've done everything right. Yeah. The next guest we had was uh, Dave Ross, who uh, is a our local bike expert. Uh, we got him on to talk all things bike equipment and how to get the most out of your bike equipment. And it just reinforces uh, some points. We talk about a lot in this podcast, the fact that you can't understate how important your equipment is because apart from running or swimming, um, or more so, less so than swimming because you can have a wetsuit, which can change things, but running, it's mostly just your body and your shoes, whereas the bike, you've got this whole machine that you're trying to work with. Imagine you are prevented from achieving your goals because of a m- mechanical malfunction and, and you know, not just that point that, you know, something that you didn't take attention to, pay attention to, get, get sorted, cost you, you know, uh, a master's age group world championship or the race that you've trained for a year for um, uh, because, you, you know, you really didn't look after your equipment. Um, but also getting yourself in the right position so that you can ride as effectively and as fast as possible is also important. So having the right equipment, but having yourself using the equipment correctly, um, they're all things that are completely different to preparing yourself fit from a physical side of you as a fitness-based program. You can be as fit as possible, but if you have a mechanical issue and don't win, the fitness means nothing. If if you're sitting in a poor position and you're doing yourself out of three or four kilometers per hour because you haven't set yourself up properly, doesn't matter how fit you are, you're still not going to get the success or outcome that you want. And it was great to hear Rossi talk about things you can do in terms of body position on your bike and the equipment you're using. Um, and you know, don't let that hold you back. That's the lesson that I've, you know, get the stuff right so that, you know, you can't say that I would have gone better had I had a better bike or I should have got a bike fit or, you know, I should have put better tires on and I got a puncture, you know, you just don't want to hear those stories. Um, you know, at least as a runner, you know, even if your shoes malfunction, you can still kind of run. But uh, but as a as a cyclist, you know, and, and as a triathlete, you need your bike. As a cyclist, you need your bike. Um, and you know, you've got to t- pay attention to these things and and make sure that's not the inhibitor to your success. Yeah. And look, for me, uh, the biggest takeaway was just we talk about one percenters, and if you look at every little aspect on the bike, there's almost 20 or more little one percenters that you can improve with regards to your bike that will help your performance. And all these little um, potential gains add up to yeah, drastically affect your performance. And I used to have the belief that, you know, I'm not a bike mechanic. Uh, I don't need to learn about that stuff. I'll leave it to the experts. I'll leave it to the bike mechanics. But, you know, Rossi really reinforces the point that it's worth you taking the time to learn about your own bike, learn about your own position because um, you need to look at your own um, your own setup. You need to look at your own seat height, you know, your, um, your the length of position from um, your seat to your handlebars, you know, your crank length, what pedals you're using, what wheels you're choosing, what tires you're choosing, um, the gear ratios you're having, um, just all these little things are actually worth taking the time to learn about because once you do, you can have confidence in your setup that you're getting the most out of yourself. Yeah, and then applying it to what is the course I'm on and that determines a lot about the equipment selection, you know, disc wheel, non-disc wheel, the wind, the the amount of hills, you know, the the gear selection, as you said, determined by the course that you're going to race on. So equipment and position, you know, in relation to 
the the course. So that was another point that he he really you know we we did delve into a lot, and uh, that was a really good podcast. Last two uh, guests we want to touch on with some uh, real key points that we got out of them. And this, the second last one was Dr. Jordan Moncrief, who really came in to talk about the body and how to get the most out of your body. He's an osteopath and movement coach. And we actually got some of the most feedback from this episode because uh, the way he speaks about the body is quite different to what you've probably heard before from conventional physios or um, you know, body coaches out there or personal trainers. Um, but his approach makes a lot of sense and uh, the proof is in the pudding with the type of athletes that he's worked and helped. Yeah. Just as we were talking about Rossi with bike equipment, if you use the same analogy as your body, as a piece of equipment, if you don't look after your body and get it in the best shape possible, then you're not going to get to the start line. And what do I mean by that? You know, the minute you disregard the feelings that you're having in your body is the minute you're going to be injured. And if you're not looking after that and keeping it, you know, finely tuned with the right, the right activation, the functionality of how the body is supposed to function in any given day, whether you're a runner, swimmer or rider, um, you really need to be looking out for that aspect and, and doing the work that's required. And, you know, my own example of chronic back, you know, and, and hip arthritis and yet with his you know, strength and conditioning program that has been a part of my life, uh, you know, since the early 90s with a, a, another guy similar to, to Jordan, um, you know, Dr. Jim. Um, and, you know, those things have enabled me to keep participating. And if you're injured, you don't get to the start line and it becomes all futile. So, you, you know, you need to be doing these things to prevent yourself from, from not competing. And, and I can't emphasize that enough. Yeah, spot on. You always talk about that one of the biggest challenges in triathlon is just getting to the start line and, you know, you want to give yourself the best chance of that. And honestly, every time I talk to Geordie, I get a, a profound lesson in how to look at the body. So the whole podcast for me was just um, another example of um, looking at the body in a uh, different way. But, you know, he talks about the natural process of uh, how babies are supposed to move and uh, the more examples i see of the movements he's demonstrating and the more i look at um you know we've got i've got a, a new niece your your granddaughter um, and i just look at her postures and movements and she just does the uh, movements that he's trying to get us to do so perfectly and so accurately and i just struggle to do them and you know it's trying to get back to that efficiency and it's really quite powerful when you look at a baby but especially between four months and 12 months and how they move and sit and crawl and everything is just so efficient um yeah it's really profound yeah and we talk about uh you know getting the right nutrition uh, getting the right equipment and and just making sure that you're looking after your body so that it doesn't break down and giving it the best opportunity to function properly um and yeah it's amazing watching watching a baby grow up in the last year um they have no strength of muscle yet they can sit crawl and stand within 12 months and they, they haven't done any weight training mm. you know but but they understand how to get around and how to have great posture and they're the things that you know we can learn a lot from um especially from what we, we talked about with jordan Absolutely. And one of the last guests we wanted to touch on was uh, a recent guest, which was a family member of Travello, Sean O'Donnelly. And this was actually quite a tough episode to record and release. Uh, but we had a conversation, all three of us, about doing a podcast together because her story was just too valuable to share. And it was, uh, yeah, as, as you'd find in the episode, if you listen to it, quite tough, uh, quite emotionally draining. Um, 
but I just think the lessons that she talks about are some of the most valuable things you'll ever hear in life and that can't be understated. Yes, uh, you're spot on, George. It was a difficult one. Um, I did struggle through that one. Um, and, you know, emotion is an amazing thing. Um, and I think it's, it can be very positive. Um, and I really wanted to get across to the listeners that, you know, perspective in life, there is always going to be someone who's better off than you and someone who's worse off than you. And you just got to really, and it is a hard thing to do. Um, we are so in our own world a lot where things don't seem to be going well and, and they, and they in real, real terms aren't probably going well. Um, but if you, if you bring perspective to everything, um, there's always someone worse off and, and that might not help you at the time, but it is something that I think has really helped me. Um, and listening to Shauna's journey, um, no matter what I was going through, um, it paled into insignificance. And and we didn't. She wasn't there to, to say, you know, I'm worse off than anybody else. That wasn't the purpose. But but the purpose was that you know, no matter how bad she felt, there was someone worse than her. And and that she wasn't going to just sit down and say, oh, is me, um, you know, what a bad uh, hand I've been dealt. I can still live a full life and, and you know, I can make the most of the opportunities that are going to be put in front of me from this particular point on from when she first got told the bad news. Um, and she did that. She's demonstrated that. And so getting perspective first and, and, and uh, understanding where you sit um, and making the most of every opportunity was was really the message that I hope that everybody got um, and that, you know, there are people worse off than you, but uh, it doesn't make you feel that much better at the time. Um, but it certainly, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, ma- it makes you feel insignificant at times when you're complaining about stuff um, that really is irrelevant um, to, to is it making you uh, have a, a worse experience um, each day? Well, probably not. You know, but, you know, when you're dealt a hand like, you know, you may not live for another year, um, that, that's kind of a real perspective uh, sentence, isn't it? That, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen next. Um, yeah. Yep. I totally agree with the, the perspective point. Uh, one of the other stories she told, which was just such an amazing lesson, I think, was um, I think this applies to anyone that's trying to come back from an injury anyone that's trying to start a training program from scratch, anyone that's starting at the beginning level in anything in life, whether you're losing weight or on some sort of journey, her incredible patient discipline, the story she told of when she was learning to run again, how each time she went to run, she would go 10 more meters at a time. You know, it's just such painstakingly slow progress. And she had the patience and the discipline to do that. And most people would choose not to do that because you think, well, it's so slow. What's the point? I'll, I'll never get there. I'd rather just go and do two minutes and or do I'll add an extra five minutes here. But the ironic thing is that she got her way to run 10 and 15 and 17K runs faster than anyone else that tried to go from zero to 5K or zero to 7K. Um, all those people that didn't want to do 10 meters at a time are still at that level where they might be running 2K or 4K or they're not running consistently. Whereas she went that slow and she got there faster. It's like the classic tortoise and hare analogy um, come to come to life. You know, I just found that uh, remarkable. Yeah, it's a great point you made. And uh, and she was painstakingly patient. Um, I couldn't believe, you know, the, the way she went about it was, yep, yeah, what do I have to do? Right, 
I'm going to do that and nothing more um, and nothing less. And, and we're all too keen to get to the end of the journey um, too quick um, without doing the, the, the yards that count. And, and the preparation is, is the key to, to making sure that you bring your whole mind and body along the journey rather than trying to skip phases. You know, it's like reading a book and going to the middle chapters without seeing the introduction. Um, you, you just don't understand uh, what, what's happening. You've missed intricate parts and, and therefore the outcome becomes uh, un, unsure. Um, whereas if, if you've just done everything right from the beginning, um, you are going to be sure by the time you get to the end point that you've, you know, you're ready to perform. That's a good way to finish. I think your voice won't be able to handle much more for this podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed some of the review and um, revisiting some of the great lessons we've learned some from some of our best uh, podcast guests. Again, if you um, want to get more lessons from them, go back and listen to the episodes because uh, we enjoyed every single one and they're well worth listening to. Uh, just to finish off, just a reminder that if you are enjoying the podcast, please go and leave us a five-star review and a comment uh, on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you listen to the podcast, it really helps us and it helps other triathletes or cyclists like you find the podcast. So uh, please go and do that if you enjoy the podcast. And uh, just to also finish uh, exciting news, we do have two of these guests that we just spoke about coming up over the next month on the podcast. We're getting two of the guests that we have spoken to before back on. So that's going to be really exciting to talk to these two guests about their expert topics. That's it for this, this episode. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Ooh.